so um, I'm looking around, I see a lot of familiar faces, which is both encouraging and like kind of daunting. Because, um, I am an assistant professor of social work at Lipscomb University. And so I was talking with my husband about like helping with this class and like, it's different than college students because they're my peers, you know, and he's like, well, you know, they may not know about the topic either. And I'm like, it's likely they may have experience with the topic. So, but uh, college students do as well. So, but it is funny to be in this kind of space um, leading you all and it not be, um, you know, a traditional kind of 18 through 21, you know, audience. So, um, but as, um, as she mentioned, we have been at Otter Creek for about two and a half years and um, kind of came to Lipscomb and stayed in Nashville. So um, just a little bit about me. I've got three kids and um, they are 14, 11, and nine. I always have to kind of think through that one. But, um, and so professionally, just a little bit about how I come to like know this topic a little bit. Um, is that I'm a social worker. So uh, by trade, I was a psychiatric social worker at Middle Tennessee Mental Health Institute. And um, you can think of that as kind of an emergency room for mental health. And um, then uh, transitioned to a medical social worker at the Veterans Hospital here in Nashville at the VA. So I'm honoring Veterans Day as well. I want to kind of recognize that. I have a special place in my heart for veterans. So, um, But in my role at Lipscomb as a social work professor, I am uh, also our field coordinator. So I help match our students with practicum placement, which looks like um, student teaching, but for social work. So they spend over 500 hours in an agency um, kind of doing the work. So doing social work in the field and then connecting that back to our core competencies in social work. So um, I will say back when I got my bachelor's of social work and then my master's in social work, um, trauma wasn't necessarily something that we really knew a lot about or were really like talking about. It was kind of coming, uh, really starting to be a topic that was even being studied at that time. So we, a lot of learning has happened since then, a lot of research and kind of understanding um, how that can impact um, you know, us even physically. So we'll talk a little bit about that um, today. And again, I know one thing that's like really great about this class too is the discussion piece. I don't wanna be up here talking at you all, um, you know, uh, lecturing the whole time. So I'm hoping that there'll be a little bit of engagement as well. But um, as I was thinking about this topic, and, um, you know, I know even last week, we, uh, I think it was last week, it was the week we were talking about hospitality, so maybe two weeks ago. Um, there even rises up a little bit of like fear or anxiety about, you know, topics, um, especially I know this class is a little bit more focused and kind of geared towards our children and think about who we are as moms and um, that there is a, a place that we can let ourselves go um, as moms that tends more towards worry or anxiety and not to say that um, you know, there aren't things that we need to be thoughtful about and plan for and also not to say that if you have worry or anxiety that you're not tuned into God. Please don't hear me say that. But I do want to say God speaks a lot about fear and about anxiety and kind of like resting in that. And I've had to come to a place because I know a lot of things from um, 
experience with my psychiatric social work about what can happen to young people and the impact that that has on kind of the trajectory of their life. And you can't unhear some of those stories, you know, uh, but what I can do as a mom um, and what I am kind of learning how to do as a mom probably is what I should say, um, is practicing like giving that back to Jesus and, you know, letting him hold the burden of that and doing kind of what I can do, you know, but then also resting in the fact that he, he is there and he can hold my burdens and my worries as well. So I did want to kind of start in uh, a couple of passages that I kind of pulled where, um, and you may or may not know this, but um, the phrase, do not be afraid, is mentioned 365 times in the Bible. So I'm like, when you just kind of like let that sit and you're like, I, I think that is very intentional. I think that 365 times we needed to know for every day of the year, you know, that, that God does not want us to be afraid. And so when I'm talking about this topic, I think it can induce some fear as well, you know, and kind of maybe like, oh, you know, what can I do? Um, but, but it's meant to, um, in the end, hopefully provide some hope, right? And so I'm going to start with that too and um, mention a few of the passages. So John 6, 20, but he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Matthew 28, 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. So that's in the garden, right, when they're like, the empty tomb, which is hope. But he's saying, do not be afraid, the angel. And then Luke 12, 7, But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. So just thinking on that as well, you know, and in terms of when we're talking about um, trauma or I'll talk a little bit about adverse childhood experiences, um, that even, I mean, when we think about even the hairs on our head are numbered, you know, how much more does he care about the things, you know, that, that happen? So, um, as you're thinking about those, I want you to think about maybe the most recent time when you felt afraid or experienced maybe fear or worry over something, maybe anxiety too. You can feel it kind of rising. Oh, so this is kind of a funny uh, way that I that I feel anxiety lately is driving to campus and wondering, will I find a parking spot? <laughs> Will I have to park down at Stokes and walk over half a mile with my book bag and my lunch? And uh, so as I'm driving to camp, I can feel my blood pressure rising. Like, oh, you know, will I find a spot today? So even something like as simple as that, I can say like, it's okay. You know, I, I can walk to my class and my students are gracious with me if I happen to, you know, be driving around and miss, you know, um, when they've tried to stop by my office or something like that. So. Um, but I also will just say, um, what do you recognize? Like if you're, if you're thinking about that in your mind, what do you recognize in your body? You know, what I mentioned was I can feel my blood pressure rising. So like for me, if I'm thinking about when the most recent time is that I felt, you know, that kind of anxiety or fear or worry, and you can feel that in your body. And so, um, you know, I think, I think being able to kind of recognize and acknowledge when you're feeling that gives you the ability then to maybe counteract some of that. And so we'll talk about that at the end, a little bit of maybe some even very simple practices you can do 
And I'm starting to do these some with my kids too, so I think it's something that can connect in that way. Um, that you know, ways that you can kind of center yourself in mindfulness, um, and maybe maybe instead of healing, I should have put mindfulness. I don't know, but um, okay. So, uh, like I had mentioned, like when we're thinking about trauma and kind of learning about this space, um, who in here has heard of the ACEs study or ACEs in general? Okay, so there's like maybe half of you. Um, so back in 95 through 97, so, you know, I graduated from Lipscomb with my BSW in 03. So I said we were really just kind of starting to learn, and I didn't, they weren't introducing this as a topic at school yet. But um, study, the study was being done by Kaiser Permanente to understand how early childhood experiences that were adverse, so some sort of um, trauma or negative experience, was then impacting the youth as they, um, as they grew, as they turned into adults. So they were looking at zero to 17, the different um, kind of negative um, life experiences that had happened and how those then would shape and impact um, really the, the, um, the, even the mental health and the physical health of these individuals. So, um, when you think about, and I, I have pulled these graphics from the CDC, they have like fabulous uh, graphics kind of, and I thought, well, I'll just, I, I did want to show them. Um, I don't, again, I don't want to be reading, you know, straight off of the slides, but um, you can see again, so the study was for zero to 17 and really looking at um, those adverse childhood experiences, um, such as neglect or witnessing or experiencing some kind of violence. And we'll talk about kind of broadening that scope as well. A little bit here in a minute, uh, but the way that those impact us emotionally, developmentally, um, physically, even okay, and so um, even into adulthood, it says here. And you maybe have heard um, because I think uh, Oprah kind of tuned into this on the earlier side. She wrote a book with Dr. Perry, Bruce, Dr. Bruce Perry, called "What Happened to You." And so that does a really great job of kind of exploring this topic as well, because what we kind of have learned and understood, it's less about like, um, you know, what did you do or why are you doing this, especially when you think about kids in terms of like behavior, maybe challenges, that a lot of time it stems from something that happened to them, okay? And so instead of asking like what's wrong with you, it's what happened to you. Um, and then also another book that um, is helpful on the topic is called The Body Keeps the Score. Has anybody heard of that? By um, Dr. Vanderkolk. And um, again, referencing the um, ACES study today as well. But um, The Body Keeps the Score talks really about some of those experiences and the way it does impact us physically. So that's another, uh, and both of those are like kind of hard reads. I'll say it's not light reading, you know, to like decompress, but if you're interested in the topic, you know, then it, if it's something you want to learn more about, then those are two kind of good places to start. But um, again, so understanding that the experiences that um, happen during those kind of formative years, right, especially probably birth to three as well, those pathways are starting to form in the brain. And we really know a lot about um, the way negative experiences, especially like neglect and abuse, can impact um, whether those pathways, um, you know, are, are formed. For example, we talk a lot about like attachment theory and if a baby cries and there's no one there to um, come check on it and understand like why are you crying, then the baby eventually likely stops crying, right, and, and doesn't cry out anymore when its needs aren't met. 
So, um, and then carries that later into life with other relationships. And, um, but again, we can see, so with ACEs, I think one thing to kind of point out from this slide here is that it talks about how they can accumulate, okay? And so, you know, we'll see a slide that talks about, statistically speaking, how many people have experienced one adverse childhood experience and then maybe five or more, you know, but the understanding is that, um, you know, the more you have, the more it can kind of build up, okay? And so, um, you know, the, then experiencing kind of that toxic stress, there it's talking about repeated stress or danger. So we have that fight or flight response. There's another one that not many people talk about and that's freeze. And so, you know, either you have the notion to fight, you know, against something or you flee it, right? The flight part or you freeze and you don't, you don't know what to do or say. So you're kind of stuck frozen in that moment. So, uh, but that's part of what's happening here. When the brain has that happen over and over and over again, it's building up kind of those toxic chemicals really even in the brain that respond to events that, that cause those. So. And I do want to say too, and I should have said this like before I really got started, um, due to the nature of this topic, like um, I want to give kind of that warning. And if anybody feels like at any point like this is too heavy for me or it hits too close to home, you are welcome to excuse yourself or tune out, you scroll on your phone, whatever you need to do to, uh, to manage that. So that's totally fine. But, um, and again, when, you, when your brain has those hormones that are released like through cortisol, it says, then your body has that physical response, which is what we were talking about earlier, that natural, like you can kind of feel your blood pressure rise, you know, uh, damages ultimately the immune system, the digestive system, things like that. So again, you see the way that these um, repeated kind of exposures, right, can kind of build up in your body and your mind too, so. Okay, and so then kind of following along this track to see how it can impact, you know, all the way even into adulthood with diseases that can cause um, early death there too. So again, uh, they're, they're ACEs, ACEs are common. I, I love this graphic um, in terms of expanding the ACEs beyond um, just that abuse and neglect that can happen individually like in a home or a, you know, one-on-one -on -one setting. Um, because here it talks about kind of the three realms of ACEs, right? Here's the household, and can you all see that even from where you are back there? So I don't necessarily need to read them, but those are the physical abuse and the neglect. Maybe um, a parent who has a substance misuse disorder or uh, mental illness. Um, all of those, you know, here. Homelessness, and unhoused populations, maybe... Um, that experience, again, that exposure to stress. Um, the second one can be stressors in the community. So based on where someone's living, are they living in a place where there's access to food? I was hearing from a guest speaker um, earlier this year who um, works in kind of that uh, food insecurity um, advocacy, and he was talking about certain parts of Nashville that only have access to maybe McDonald's or liquor stores and not necessarily grocery stores where they can buy healthy food that then encourages positive brain development for their kids. Um, so you see even, you know, the food, food um, scarcity, poor housing quality, affordability, uh, historical trauma, structural racism, 
um, discrimination, poor water and air quality, you know, all those things um, are impacting um, the community kind of from that ACES standpoint. And then the last number here would be environmental. And we've all been through one of those more recently, right? Pandemic is listed. I'm like, when did they come up with this graphic? Was it after 2020? <laughs> because I have a feeling they would not have put pandemic on there, um, at least for us here in the privileged United States that we live in. But, um, you know, we natural disasters. We know like the way Katrina, if you all can kind of remember when that happened, like the way that that impacted generations of people and the exposure to the things that they saw and experienced not just the one day when it happened, but repeatedly over time, right? Um, but again, just understanding that all three of these really are kind of different realms. So seeing it for the way that you can see how they can compound, right? And exposure experience um, with those really can increase the risk of uh, health um, complications. So I think that was what really did it for um, kind of realizing that this is something that we need to be talking about was when the Kaiser Permanente study was done about ACEs was like, oh, it impacts us medically. Oh, oh okay. You know, now we need to get on board with doing something about it, you know, um, because, you know, mental health is sometimes taboo. But, you know, now it's something that we talk about more often. But understanding that the ways that our mental health are impacted can then impact our physical health as well. So... I'm sorry, this is like such a Debbie Downer of a class, so <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's um, kind of hard. There is hope, and we'll get to that. So um, it can have lasting effects, as I've mentioned, on health. So again, like heart disease, diabetes, um, suicide attempts, which are a health um, implication there too, um, cancer, stroke, locomotive, you can see all those, okay? And then also behavior-wise, um, ways that people try to cope that maybe are not positive ways of coping, right? Um, uh, behaviors that we have. And then also impacting life potential. So, um, you know, academic achievement, lost time from work, um, which then sets somebody back or maybe um, puts them out of work, right? Um, and so here what you see in this graphic is the number of ACEs and how, you know, kind of when you're compounding those, um, the greatest kind of, uh, you know, impact is when, when they are, when you have, you know, kind of like five or more is the way they say that. But with each ACE you've had kind of experience with, um, that the risk of these things increases, okay? Thoughts or questions like up to this point, or am I, should I just keep going? <laughs> okay. I was in a training maybe a year or two ago where they actually linked the ACEs to incarceration too. yeah like that's mm -hmm. one of the one of the aces can be that your family member has been incarcerated but mm -hmm. then the so like at tpom the, the organization here in town that helps women and mm -hmm. men you know transition back out of prison and i just had such you know it helps me look at home you know our homeless friends mm -hmm. or homeless you know neighbors and those who've been incarcerated but differently because yeah. so many of these aces start way before they've made any choices yes and, and having some of the ones that were connected to them, mm -hmm. even in our family, and just being yeah. amazed that, mm -hmm. you know, we can have, have these, but with the right Supports. structure or, yeah. fam you know, external mm -hmm. family structure that mm -hmm. changes how, yeah. how you're impacted. 
100%. And we have one of our social work students is um, currently doing her practicum with the Post-Conviction Defender's Office, which is with inmates who are on death row. And the work that they do is a lot of investigation on social history and learning about what ACEs they've had um, and building out kind of that social history piece to say, again, going back to that, the title of that book, like what happened to them? Not what did you do or why did you do that or how could you, but like what happened to you to get you to that point, right? And maybe the other question is what, what didn't you have access to resource-wise or support-wise, you know, to kind of move you through that. So, and organizations like TPOM are fabulous in helping kind of transition, you know, um, to, to life after incarceration yeah. too. I think something about this that um, not only like recognizing how it impacts us, but also our empathy for others. Yeah. And talking to our kids about why do people do bad things mm -hmm. and it's not because they're bad people. Because, right. Because, you know, we teach God made everybody, God loves everybody, but does he love the person who murdered somebody? Yeah. You know, and, and so to me, something that helps me with the empathy of this is hearing, and this came from, I'm sure, Facebook during the <laughs> pandemic, but it was saying, like, we're all in the same storm, oh, but yeah. we're in different sized boats. Mm -hmm. And being like, if you're in a dinghy, which if you have a lot of these, if you're in a dinghy and yeah. somebody else is in a yacht, you can't compare their outcomes. And, right. and so I think for me, that helps me try to explain the mm -hmm. empathy to have for people who we would like to generally call bad people, yeah. but remembering the biblical implication is that they aren't bad people. They're in a different boat. Yeah. And, and that boat has caused them to not ne necessarily be equipped to have the same outcomes. And mm -hmm. that helps me with the empathy of it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a fabulous application for us, you know, because. I don't know, and I, I could poll, I mean, we won't, obviously, <laughs> to see who in here has experienced ACEs. You know, there, there is, you know, that you can take a test if you're curious to know how many you've experienced. But the fact that you're even here now shows that you've had um, either the environmental supports or social supports or, you know, something that has, has assisted you in, in coming kind of through that. I see another hand. Yeah, so um, I recently got asked, I'll be speaking sort of on a personal topic of this yeah. on December 10th, so okay. come back to hear my full yeah. train wreck. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I had two um, very traumatic things happen, but not to me. Mm -hmm. to, um, this really isn't, a, this isn't what I'll go over on December 10th, but yeah. um, a very close family friend, um, she was part of a murder-suicide with yeah. her little boy, and then she took her own life. Anyway, it was a very um, traumatic thing that happened to a classmate of mine. And honestly, at the time, my parents were... Oh, it's fine. Okay. Okay. Um, at the time, my parents, I, they didn't think... It didn't happen to me, so they, they didn't really think that mm -hmm. any of us needed to be in therapy. Get any kind of help, yeah. And then in sixth grade, my best friend's mom committed suicide in her shower mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all the things. Anyway, and again, it didn't happen to me. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't think therapy was super necessary. And so I I don't know that if, and even though it didn't directly happen to me, I those things very much affected mm -hmm. kind of how the rest of my later teen years played out. Mm -hmm. Um so does, I guess, the studies, does it have to happen, like, to your, like, nuclear family, or can it be 
No, I think it, it, it can be in any way that you've experienced yeah. it. So I think, you know, being, what you've described to me sounds like it made an impact on you, right? Yeah. And so, so it was a way that you experienced so it. As a mom, different I'm than, like, well, I'm a little more cognizant now sure. that, like, if trauma happens around my kids, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't happen to them, yeah. I think I'm a little more um, apt to... Engage at the drop of a hat, maybe we should go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so one hand back here, and then we'll come up here, too. When we were going through our adoption training mm-hmm. way back in the day, yeah, and we went through about trauma and how trauma can be in young children, one of the examples that was given was a, a kid who um, was fostered by a family from when he was eight months old on, mm-hmm. and eight months old, he was in the hospital still for from something traumatic that had happened to him. Yeah. Um, his um, the mother's boyfriend had tried to drown him in a bathtub, mm-hmm. and they had to deal with that when he turned like twelve and wouldn't take showers um, with a shower door, and he didn't know why he had that. So they were talking about trauma can go back. To the womb, it can, yes, um, it can be prenatal massive even. trauma yeah. that they don't even understand why. So, in the same realm as like maybe it wasn't happening directly to you, but mm-hmm. it also can happen before we're really aware that we were around that trauma. Yeah. But they they were talking about we had you know they had to acknowledge that with him once he was old enough to yeah. uh, maybe understand, and they had to make some changes yes. that helped with that. But I found that interesting because you wouldn't think an eight-month-old, even if you went through something traumatic, he was in this loving home from then on sure. that was healthy and amazing. Yeah. But what he went through yeah. at eight-month-old still came back yeah. because it was in his body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and what we know about even, you know, the prenatal kind of period and what's happening, forming the the, um, the baby, and then also that birth to three years, maybe even birth to five years with the neuropathways and I mean it's amazing our brains are so remarkable but and they are resilient but you also need support in that okay and then one more I actually have a couple of questions what is your working definition of trauma Mm -hmm. so it's question number Mm -hmm. one question Mm -hmm. number two is is there a range of things that are least traumatic to more traumatic and then my third thing is more of like a comment. It feels like there's so much talk about, oh, this thing happened, and now I have PTSD. And I'm like, oh, yeah. is it really PTSD, or yeah. are you just – has that phrase become so degraded that it has – like anything is trauma now? Yeah. Mm. Um, I definitely think there's overuse of the word. You know, oh, that was so traumatic. Well, like, okay, what are, really, you know, what are we talking about here? You know, if it was, you couldn't, you, d- you forgot to, I don't know, I was going to say record your show, but we don't have to do that anymore. So I don't know, I'm trying to think of like, what, what, what way would a teenager use that that's not um, appropriate? But, okay. Somebody, somebody said something mean to me because I took her parking spot. Yeah. Oh, I'm traumatized. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good question. I probably would then go back, and I mean, I, I don't have it necessarily where I could pull it up right now to see exactly, like, ex- for, like, how the What Happened to You book or the Body Keeps the Score uh, book define trauma. I'm sure that there are variations of that definition as well. Um, and specific kind of regards to ACEs, thinking about the traumatic events, it could be, like, experiencing violence, abuse, or neglect. And I would go back to that other slide, too, to see the, the three kind of realms, 
you know, to define what could be, you know, um, uh, witnessing violence or home uh, in the home or community. Um, and then also, you know, uh, having a, a family member um, that has, you know, experienced some of those same things. So um, I maybe would need to come back and say, like, okay, here's the hard and fast. I'm pulling from, you know, the um, those two sources, and maybe I should have had a clearly defined um, definition there. But I think really thinking about the violence and the abuse and the neglect and then kind of the residuals of those being in the community and then, um, you know, a kind of exterior environmental forces too impacting on that. And did you have one other that I didn't answer? Well, I feel like that was three and I feel like no, I've only responded to two. There was more of a comment or an observation that mm -hmm. trauma and PTSD have oh, yeah. in some good ways become more widely known, understood, sure. accepted, and at the same time, um, also overused yeah. and maybe misapplied. Something that I found helpful was um, hearing somebody talk about abuse in like lowercase a, okay, which is like, oh, my mom was angry. My mom was angry and she shouted a lot when I was growing up and that at times that left me anxious or afraid and I didn't know what was going on. So that over time can be experienced as or can be abuse if a parent's always angry and rage, raging at a child. Mm -hmm. And then a more drastic form of abuse is my mom's yelling and raging at me and she's also smacking me nonstop and hurting mm -hmm. me and leaving bruises. Like, yeah. is that a... Is that a distinction? Is yeah. that a distinction? I don't know. I'm not sure that I have necessarily heard that with the capital A and the lowercase a. Um, I think, you know, and what I, what I have learned also in working with um, some of our practicum placement agencies work specifically with survivors of domestic violence, and that there are a lot of ways that people can experience abuse that don't leave physical marks on them. You know, it can be financial, you know, exploitation or... Um, you know, uh, put a GPS tracker on the car, you know, mental, emotional kind of abuse like that. Um, uh, the, um, what's the name of the, there was a um, show, I'll have to think of it, what the name of it was. Um, my recall isn't so great these days. Um, that chronicled a young woman who was in an abusive relationship and demonstrated the ways that um, on the outside we would go like, how did you let him take your phone from you, you know? But it was really like financially they were strapped, they needed to go down to one phone, he needed it for work, therefore she doesn't have a phone anymore. You know, it was never in a way that was like, you know, oh, you can't have, you know, this or I'm going to take away that, um, but but the, the control, the power and control over her really, and that's a whole separate topic. <laughs> that we could use, it probably could be a series. Um, so I don't know. I think I think sometimes we want it to be something that shows physically um, to be able to validate it, but there's so many other forms that it can take that it's really um, it's it is complicated. I think I just want to say like um, I think you could tell when somebody's joking about something, but you also like what you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg of their life. So you don't know. If they're like, oh, that trafficked, I have PTSD, oh, but maybe they've been in like some really serious car wrecks in their life, or 
you know, I just, I think you just have to be careful uh, negating somebody's use of the word when you don't know mm-hmm. yeah. their history. Yeah, that's probably what Yes. That's probably right. And that and, and kind of going back to the comment about how we convey this to our children, and that's the way I try to frame it to them is if they do have an argument at school or something happens and I'm like, but you you we don't know what what is going on in their home. We don't know what their life is like. You know, we there's so many factors that like leading up to that that we can't speak to that, you know, could could relay why maybe they're acting that way so again kind of thinking of it and trying to frame it what happened to you instead of like why did you do that or what's wrong with you you know so um okay good thoughts let me and I'm trying to be aware of the time as well so let me kind of finish this so I can get through the hopeful part (laughs) 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 I want to leave everybody in this like there is no hope we're all doomed um, and this was what I was talking about in the in the 50 states between 2011 and 2020 um, that 64% of Americans that were collected in this study had said they had had at least one type of ACE in their life. And then um, 17% reported four or more ACEs. And again, the way that we see that they can kind of compound there as well. So, and um, I think that this, this, is, this is the part that is where you can see hope. And so I really want to spend a little bit of time here and you know, kind of understanding this impact. I went to a training last summer where, um, and it was, it wasn't just social workers, it was other um, uh, people that are working with youth across um, Tennessee that had come together. Um, And it used to be called uh, Building Stronger Brains, but it's now like Resilience Tennessee, I think is the name of it. And what they relayed to us is that you are the medicine. And so when you think about adverse childhood experience, you think about the traumatic things that are happening in the world, and in the lives of kids and maybe even your, you know, your, your family, your life, um, is to know that there are positive childhood experiences that can also accumulate. And I think we've spent a lot of time in our class talking about like the community that we're building here. And that's, that's you're coming to class, you're here. Even if you've experienced ACEs, you've had some sort of, you know, support or encouragement in your life to maybe be in this space. And so what I want you to kind of see and understand in terms of that hope is that there are ways to kind of combat the negative things with positive things. And so some of the things that we really, I feel like, have highlighted in this class, and then if you were part of the um, Raising Boys and Girls class over the summer, that was a lot of time spent on, you know, connecting young people with caring adults. And so, um, you know, school or community mentoring programs, you're familiar with like um, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, that's a great, any kind of after school, you know, community-based program, um, ways that they can connect with caring, supportive adults. So even in terms of your own kids, if you're thinking, I want to build up these positive childhood experiences, finding ways for them to be involved with other adults that you, you know, trust and feel like they can, and we've, this I feel like is, I'm, um, just a broken record on that because that's something I feel like we've hit on kind of every week even in this class is just making sure that there are relationships um, with other other um, adults and Otter Creek in particular I feel like does a really great job of this I know in their youth and children's programs they really see it as like a mission to connect um, you know kids to other adults so um, understanding more about ACEs that's one way to combat it you know that you're learning about it and then you can be aware of it 
Um, and we've mentioned therapy, you know, and especially, um, I think, for ourselves, for our kids, um, understanding the benefits of that and, and seeking help um, is really important. Um, family-centered treatment for substance uh, misuse is really kind of the new term that we're using instead of abuse. It's really misuse, okay? Um, and then um, we've talked about the birth to five years, so getting good um, kind of start in that terms. Uh, promoting norms that protect against violence. So this is another thing as parents, you know, that we can provide education to our kids on is thinking about what are we promoting in our home and are they, you know, um, seeing especially for men and boys in terms of like what healthy masculinity looks like or healthy um, ways to, um, so again, connecting them back again with other caring adults too is, is a way that you can do that. So. Um, and then uh, it does talk about financial stability. That looks more at um, kind of organizational or community ways that we can make a larger impact. Um, but then also healthy relationship skills and um, conflict resolution, negative feeling management. Man, I will tell you, we're working on this in our household too. Like <laughs> the emotions are big and it's like, how do you find a way to do to feel that but not scream at people, you know, <laughs> and and you can't act that way. Um, so what do we do? Um, and and as a result of even that summer class on parenting, we've printed a feelings chart, and I'm starting to try to incorporate that a little bit more in my own home to say like I know you're angry about this, but like tell me what other feelings you have about it because a lot of times anger is like a secondary emotion. And there's something else kind of going on underneath of it, too. So let's kind of look at that and see. Um, pressure from peers and then um, healthy, nonviolent dating relationships, which maybe was navigated a little bit when we were talking about, um, and we had the kind of panel with the middle school moms, and I do feel like they were helping kind of talk about um, some of that. Also, the, the ladies that spoke on their in-laws' relationships, I feel like some of that was helpful kind of speaking to that, too. So... So I want to say, like, again, when you're thinking about ACEs, like, and in, in the, the takeaway that I had from that um, class over the summer is feeling like I am the medicine. The positive, supportive relationship that I can be to my kids and to other kids um, is, is the medicine. And that's, and that's one of the ways that we can definitely kind of help and impact that. So um, the healthy benefits. So this is kind of looking at, like, if, if we have those supportive um, you know, positive childhood experiences, um, these are the different things that kind of um, are reduced and, and such. So if we're preventing it, you know, the, the physical um, implications are there, the mental health implications are there, um, decreasing rates of depression, the number of adults who smoke, which we know that that can impact physical things um, later in life, respiratory, asthma, COPD, um, adults with kidney disease, and even the number of adults who are unemployed. So um, in terms of like, okay, mental health, healing, um, I think this is my last slide really about ACEs um, in particular, but just really thinking about um, what we talked about at the beginning, like noticing about your body, what do you notice kind of when you start to feel those things. So I want you to just kind of like use that as an opportunity to be aware of, of what is happening um, kind of in your own body and um, being able to feel that. So, um, you know, some of the things, if you're thinking about how does this connect to like mental health, right, or mental wellness, 
um, you know, that, that some, maybe even in here, probably statistically speaking, are experiencing some of those feelings of, you know, excessive fear or sadness. Um, it may come out in difficulty sleeping or changes in your appetite um, or um, withdrawal or isolation. Those are all kind of like things to be looking for, you know, in, in yourself and in others in terms of kind of like connecting with that, maybe even in your, your kids. I think um, probably teenagers, man, it's hard to be a teenager now. I'm like, when I think back and I'm so thankful that we didn't have social media and that all of the things that I did in that stage of my life are not out there for everyone to know and remember, like that's hard, you know? And so kind of being able to recognize that uh, but also then kind of in the same way, you know, um, and thinking about unhealthy coping mechanisms, the important part is to also think about and equip ourselves with like healthy ways to cope, right? So I did kind of want to ask, you know, speaking of like self-care and wellness, you know, that you all probably have tools um, that you're already doing or ways. And in social work, we would call this like the strengths perspective. So what's already working for you? What are things that you're doing that are, that are considered a strength? And so um, if anybody wants to share out like a way that you kind of take care of yourself, whether that is, um, you know, uh, relaxation kind of practice or mindfulness or, um, you know, something that you feel like you do when you're feeling that stress. Because I think stress can be good or bad. You know, there's stress that's healthy in our lives that like promotes us to do um, things like teach a class on a Sunday morning, you know, but then there are other kinds of stress that keep us kind of stuck and maybe prevent us from um, growing or changing or moving, um, you know, kind of through something. So um, what, what are self-care practices that you all have? I think exercise is a yeah. good one. Mm-hmm. Yoga or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And yoga in particular um, you know, connects that mind and body um, in a way that we don't, you know, um, always do. So that's helpful. It incorporates that mindfulness as well. And the yoga here on Wednesday nights, if you've not tried it, I know. I don't Why are they like a herd of, it's probably my son too. I should have been looking. Um, what other, what other ways do you all practice kind of self-care? Yes. Yes, because those positive, supportive relationships are just as important for us too, right? And it's easy in this stage of life to be focused on everybody else and not think about the ways that you need those supports too and those connections and those relationships. That's also another theme that keeps coming up in this class, right? The community for ourselves. I've had to create like healthier boundaries. And my friend that's a counselor is always like, love with boundaries. Boundaries are a healthy thing mm-hmm. where you feel like you want to do all the things. But yeah. That I don't do them well. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Townsend has a good book on boundaries. I'm certain it's been updated since I had to read it in college. <laughs> like for me personally, it was like I was saying yes to all of the things, and then my body would like crash, and I'd get sick, and it would be three or four days, and then finally I'd come back in, but I'd still do the same thing. Yeah. So I had to kind of learn, like how do I create that time and space for myself? I'm probably still learning. Yes, getting enough sleep. And I think that's interesting, too, because resting is important. Um, and a student uh, led a group on this in my class the other day, and she had, she had said really what she found was um, consistent sleep was what was so important, not necessarily. I mean, the amount is important, too, 
but even what time you go to bed and what time you wake up, that that can drastically impact how well rested you feel. Um, and then I also heard someone who said, but sleeping alone is not self-care. That is something that is required for your body. So like, that's just, that's the baseline. That's like the minimum of what you need to be doing. And then, you know, but I think that's important thinking about it in terms of, am I getting that rest? Um, I like to do things that I'm like, that I have to do, mm -hmm. like grocery shopping and like errands I have to run. These are things that like are necessary, right? Yeah. But how can I make them better for myself? Mm -hmm. um, I try not to bring my kids. Like, yeah. I, you know, like I try to do that. And then like I listen to podcasts mm -hmm. and I put in my, like I try to make things that this is like some time that I can like pull for myself, mm -hmm. right? I'm not going to always use grocery shopping as like self care. Yeah. But <laughs> how can I in this, this space time, in yeah, your life? This, yeah. You know, I can make it better for myself. I can try to you know have time that's already provided to do something for myself that makes it better and yeah. I enjoy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. like yeah. the kids are not there and you yeah, know, whatever. I think that's a great point. And I have a few like just kind of quick. Um, ways that I have uh, written down, like simple mental exercises that you can do to kind of build that mindfulness. And these are the things that I'm starting to do with my kids, and I'm watching the time, so I'm going to spout them off real quick. I was going to have us practice some of them, but I don't think we have the time to do it. Um, if you've heard of four square breathing, which is where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold the breath for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, and you hold for four seconds. And you just keep doing that. And you can even, if it's, your, if it's your kid, you can teach them to draw the square on their leg or something, you know, on the table as they're practicing, like, okay, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to breathe in for four seconds. I'm going to hold it for, and if they need to do it for shorter, three seconds, whatever, you, there's, you know, you can do a star, breathing in, breathing out, similar, you know, because it gets their mind distracted a little bit while they're drawing the square, and they're also flooding their brain with oxygen, which is important in helping them to kind of regulate. Um, another one is noticing all things one color. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like the anxiety is rising, but okay, I'm gonna start looking around and I'm gonna see all of the purple things, you know, or something like that. And then your brain is then all of a sudden thinking about all the purple things. My kids and I used to do this when I could tell they were bickering with each other and we would go through the alphabet and think about a specific thing like foods, a apple, then somebody else take a B banana, you know, we go through, or candy, you know, whatever. And then before you know it, they're not fighting anymore. We're thinking about what in the world can we think of with Q, you know, or so again, just kind of um, getting them to, to be a little distracted. The other one it, that I wrote down was the five senses exercise. So you can start with five and you can say, okay, look around and see five things that you can see. And then you'll say them out loud, you know, okay, four things that you can touch, you know, okay, this feels different, my jeans feel different, maybe this smooth surface, you know, and you move through the senses, I always end up doing like taste last, because I'm like, maybe I can taste my water or my coffee or whatever. But you get that, and then by the end of it, you're distracted, you know, and your brain and your body is kind of refocused again. So there's three kind of simple ways to practice mindfulness, you can do that in the car, you know, you can do it at the grocery store, nobody's gonna notice you pushing the cart and you know, drawing the square on your leg, um, or imagining it. Um, but those are ways that we can kind of practice that mindfulness and kind of self-care too, so. Thank you, I feel like I'm, you know, I appreciate y'all um, listening. So um, again, if you need the names of those books, let me know and I'll uh, follow back up with you, so.
Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.